three things that I need you to just be aware of as I get ready to read this. Some of you have been anxiously awaiting me to finish the book of Revelation, and some of you are hoping that I won't. I know. I just want you to know I've heard that from both sides. We are essentially on the last page of the Bible this morning. Are you ready for that? You didn't think we'd ever get here when we started this book in February. So here we are, the last book of the Bible. We're in Revelation 22, 6 through the end, which is verse 21. I need you to pay attention as I read to three things. Um, people kind of people get off track here. This is the sort of the afterword of the text, and there are three themes that I need you to be look, on the lookout, and we'll talk about those in order. One of them is very prevalent, and you'll notice it. It's soon. The Lord is near, the Lord is soon, the time is soon. The word soon there is sort of like if you were in a city and you needed a taxi, you would yell taxi on the street. You're not yelling, taxi, come in half an hour. You're, just, you're going, taxi, and it stops. That's what you're after. The, the Greek word sort of has that imperative in it. The second theme is don't add or subtract. And we'll talk about that. And then the third one is don't get lost in the events and forget that the book's purpose is worship God. Okay? So let's read it, and then we'll go through that text and start talking about it. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I am John, he says. That's the writer of the book. I, John, am he who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, that's the angel, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy be filthy. Let the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. That was last week's sermon. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can. That they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. The bright morning star. We'll get back to that as well. Don't, don't forget that one. The spirit of the bride said, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who is thirsty, come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the book, if anyone adds to them, they will get the plagues described in the book from God. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away the share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. 
Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. That is the last, that is the very last words of the Bible. I know you, you didn't actually think I would ever get there. But we're here. Let's, let's talk about the most prevalent command and some of what it means to us in this little piece of text, and that is, the time is near, I'm coming soon. What does that mean for us nowadays, now that we're 1,900 years or so after these words? Is that what it means soon? Is soon to you somewhere in the next two centuries or, or 20 centuries? When you say soon, is that what you mean? Well, some people think that because Jesus said soon in A.D. 30, by the time this book was written, soon that Jesus was already wrong. Unless he meant something slightly different than that. And so I want to talk to you about what it means that Jesus is coming, not Jesus will come. What does that mean, Jesus is coming and not will come? For one thing, I want you to understand, this is from one of the commentaries I was reading. Not, this is crucial to grasp, says the commentator. He will come implies that the present Jesus is standing off somewhere, standing still, waiting to move towards us. He is coming implies that he is not standing off somewhere, but that Jesus is already moving toward us and has been moving toward us for nearly 2,000 years. I want you that just to sit in for a second. The text says, he is coming. But you, we sit here in this life and we think, but things are getting worse. Things are going to hell in a handbasket around me. Don't, aren't, don't you feel that way sometimes? I've heard some of you tell me that stuff. What's going on with this Jesus is coming? Surely I'm coming soon in the text. I'm going to read from another commentary that I've got right here. Yes, that is true. He is coming, but this is what this means. The conflict between the nations and the ideologies, the upheaval is due to greed, arrogance, and indifference. But the final cause of the upheaval that we're experiencing that makes us uncomfortable is the coming of Jesus is being resisted in the world. Do you give up all your old habits super easy? You've got a habit and somebody comes to you and says, that's causing you damage. Let's say you go to a doctor and they say, no more of, and what have you been told to get rid of? Anybody here ever been told to get rid of anything? How easy was that to do? That's hard work, isn't it, to get rid of that? There's upheaval in your life. What, what this commentator is actually saying is, must take place shortly, must take place. There's a whole bunch of things that have to happen. Is not because there's a calendar of predetermined events, that the struggle is coming and Jesus is near and there's things that have to happen because if his kingdom is going to fully invade your present, there's going to be some warfare around you. Things aren't always going to go smoothly. Changing a habit is exactly the same thing. If you want to change a habit, you have to actually do it. And we're coming up. You have a month before New Year's resolutions are set set and everybody makes New Year's resolutions and they keep them for about a week and a half and then they go back to the way because momentum is a powerful factor. 
But Jesus' momentum is coming. He is coming soon. But not only that, he is present with us now in this spot. If we could live in this spot of turmoil, because some of us have turmoil in our lives, don't we? Some of us hurt. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us live in that spot where we say, how long, O Lord, will it take for you to get here? Why do you wait? But what, what Jesus is talking to us, not just in the book of Revelation, but in the whole of the book of the Bible, is that he's present with us here. And if we could put him and recognize him in the circumstances we actually live in, then we will know that this is the day of our salvation, that today we are being saved. You can't actually live in the future when everything's gone. Have you noticed that? You can't live in tomorrow. It doesn't come. Tomorrow, when you get there, will be today, and you have to live in today. But Jesus is here with us now. Now, we need to start praying in our hearts, and our hearts need to change in this way that that we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, that we begin to recognize his presence in our day and his control of the situation and all that. Now, just a little story about this. Um, two weeks ago, I was working a retreat with the Pancoast family and my family and several others of you. There were several of us there, and we we're doing a special service. It's called a healing service. Some of you have been through that, but you get this chance on the service in, in, on the retreat to, to write a burden, something that you've been carrying on a piece of paper and go up and nail it to a cross. Well, I, I had had a thought of doing something slightly different in that service, and so what I wanted us to do was we put it on a special kind of paper, and then the pastors were going to speak forgiveness over every one of them as they were burnt, and, and they would go away. Well, earlier in the retreat, I just want you to know how how present God is in these moments that we do this, is that I'm in here and there's 65 little pieces of paper nailed to this cross. Earlier in the weekend, one of the young ladies had talked about the picture God had given her for how he had forgiven her sins, right? That she was praying and she had this little picture of how that was happening in her life and everything. So we're doing this thing, and, I'm, and we're pulling the, this piece of paper over and speaking something like forgiveness over them, something along the lines of, you know, that burden that you nailed to the cross, that's forgiven. He's dealt with that. And we're doing this, and the three pastors are doing this, and I grab one, and I am overwhelmed at the moment it's in my thumb, with, in my hand, that I should use that image that the young lady had said God had given her earlier. And so I, I spoke that image. I said, this is what that is, and put it in there, and it was gone. And she came up later and said, that was my burden. That was mine. Now, I can't track that. There's 65 here, right? Each one of us always only tracks the things that are important to us. And so I knew where mine was, but I didn't know where anybody else's was because I knew where I put mine. Somebody else grabbed mine. But she was watching because we were doing this. We spoke forgiveness for about 35 minutes over, over those as the service went on and on to do that. But God is present and active in our world. 
He is near, oh so near. I really need you to hear that, oh so near. That is the comment of this text. Don't get lost in the thought that he's away over there and not involved. But rather, begin to have eyes to see and ears to hear that he is nearby so that you can recognize him in the moment you're in. And today will be the day of salvation for you because you will be in his presence. Number two. This is the easiest thing to ignore in our world because we do it without even hardly thinking. Twice in this text, it says, blessed are those who keep the commands of this book. And then later on, it says, don't add or subtract. And it gives a warning. Now, aside from the fact that those are standard apocalyptic literature sort of things at the end, we do this all over the place as Christians in the world. Have have you ever seen... now? Maybe you guys haven't seen this, but, but me in the world of biblical reading, I run into people all the time that will have other books and they'll say, well, those really should be in the Bible and these other ones should not be in the Bible. But when you start doing that, pretty soon what happens is you're the authority of everything. And what's in the Bible is not the authority of it. Don't add or subtract to the Bible. So if you've got this Bible and you say, I want... I want in my life, because you have to make a personal decision that the Bible is authoritative to you, and if you haven't made that decision, I invite you to make it, and if you're not ready to make it, I invite you to have coffee with me and we'll talk it through. But here's the thing. So if you want to do this, um, you make a decision that you're going to include everything in the Bible on on the thing. But what that also means is when you read that book and it says something radically uncomfortable to you, it doesn't mean throw that out. Don't add or subtract. Now, there's lots of books in the world. I have lots of favorite ones. There was a number of years where every year I reread To Kill a Mockingbird. It's an important book to understand racial tensions in our world and how we view things and start to do that. It's not the Bible. I just need to say that. It was an important book to me. Uh, A Separate Piece was an important book. Catcher in the Rye. I've read all sorts of books, right? All these little social protest books. I've read them, read them all, and they were all big deal. They're not the Bible. On the other hand, there's some stuff in the Bible that is really hard to understand. And man, it is hard work to do and to put to work in your life. Don't throw that out because your opinion doesn't like it. Those are the things. Now, how do we do that in our lives? Well, when we're reading the Bible, it's even important not to add or subtract in this way. When I read it, to not go, oh, well, here's this verse on this. I already have an opinion on this issue. I'll just read that into the text because then the Bible agrees with me. They call that, there's a technical term for that in Greek. It's called isogesis. You're reading into the text. If you ever had somebody, you're, you're speaking to them, and they've read into your words things that you did not intend and took offense. Have you ever had that happen to you? Isogesis. Don't do that with God's word either. Okay? Exegesis means that you read the text, and it comes out of you. 
So our Wednesday night Bible study has done quite a bit different than some of the others. I, I know there's some people here. Bill, would you agree that it's different than most Bible studies you've ever been in? Okay. What its goal is this, and I've stated it very clearly in the group. My goal is the Word of God inside of you so it can do whatever it's supposed to do, not my opinion. And so one of the things that happens in that Bible study is that that scripture that we're working on is read. How many times would you guess that we read each verse? How many times? What do you think? About 12, 13 times we just read it over and over, right? Because it's the thing. It's the Word of God that does the work. Not what we feel about it, but it goes into us. It's actually what 1 John 2, 7 is talking about, that when we don't add or subtract to this, we also take it inside us. So if, if, we, if we don't take this inside of us, this is just a, you know, the Bible is kind of an older book. It was written a while ago. It's an old commandment, but 1 John 2, 7 says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but one you've had for a long time. The reason I'm writing it to you is that as you do it, it becomes made new and written into your life. Don't add or subtract. That's something we ought to do as we're sitting here reading the book is remember, don't add or subtract from this thing. What was the first thing? He's always nearby. He's surely coming soon. The last admonition of this comes on the heels of this one thing in, in, uh, in chapter 22, verse, verse um, 9, right at the end of it, when John, the, the writer of the book, sits there and he sees this image and he falls down and he worships the angel and the angel goes, don't do that. Stop. Not because the angel does, isn't cool, but because, because the angel isn't God. And he says this, I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren and prophets. Keep the words of the book. Worship God. So the book of Revelation is one of those places where it's super easy to lose sight of the forest because the trees are so cool. It is. It's got lots of little shiny toys that you can take out. The book is not about the number of the beast, and it's not about the cataclysm. It's not about that, and it never was about that. It was always about worshiping God. Don't get lost in that moment. Jesus calls himself, and it's overwhelming in this book. Do you notice that whenever he's speaking, he's saying, I am. He's telling you, Worship the Lord your God, and I am the visible, I am the invisible image of the, or the visible image of the invisible God. That's from Colossians 2. Worship God. Don't lose track. The last time he uses a special title, the bright morning star, any stargazers in the room, anybody that just loves stars, what happens? Do you know what the bright morning, what the morning star means or signifies in the sky? Do you know what that means? Or the the morning star, they call it the morning star. Okay, so this is what the morning star does, is it shows up usually about 2 or 3 in the morning when it does, and it's the end of night. Whenever it shows up, guess what's coming? The morning. The light is coming. That's why 
He's the last title he uses of himself in the book is the bright morning star. The night, the, the, the world without the presence of the king is passing away. Look, it's going to be a hard work. It's not going to be fun because old ways fight back. They even do it in us. Our habits like to keep coming back on us, don't they? And so we do that, but he's coming I want to make sure that you don't sit there and go, Pastor Dave's the best. I know none of you really worship me, and I'm glad. But if you did, don't worship me and don't worship um, any other speaker that does a really good job. Don't do that. We're fellow servants too. Don't worship types of music, right, that there's all sorts of types of music that, that can reach God and then reach into other people's hearts. Don't do that. It's just a servant, a way to make us do that. Don't worship musical artists because their voice is super awesome or whatever, they write great words, fellow servants of the Lord, just like angels, just like angels. Don't worship them. Don't worship cataclysmic signs or prophecy, prophets. Don't do that. They're just Isaiah, when he wrote his book, he was just doing what he was supposed to do. All of this is about obedience. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to, what he's asked me to do, and you're supposed to do what he's asked you to do. That's the whole of it. You can't think your way through understanding all this stuff. It's not about your intellect. I hate to tell you that. I know some of you like to think it's about your intellect. I kind of would hope it. Sometimes I like to think of myself as really smart, but sometimes I realize I'm just sort of obtuse to God. I have these great thoughts about myself. It doesn't make me that. It's not about how fast my mind processes this material. It's about whether I do what God asked me to do, whether I respond to him, whether I worship him. That's the word of God for us this morning. Can you be obedient to what he's asked you to do? I'll be obedient to what I've, asked, I've been asked, and then we'll all work together in maturity to do the word of God. But don't worship somebody else's obedience. Certainly use it as an example of their obedience to him that you can be spurred on to greater and greater activity with. I just want to read one little thing, and then I'll pray. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty come. And let him who desires to take the water of life buy without price. Come, later it says, and surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the cry of my heart, that he would be be with me, that I would know that he's here, that he would come and kneel into my circumstances with me and bring the future with him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we come and we cry out for you to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right in the middle of the nitty-gritty, everyday, boring stuff of our lives, come. Right in the muck and the mire, come, Lord Jesus. Come and touch us and move us that we may know that in you we have our being. In your precious name, Lord, amen.